good morning and uh and such a wonderful wonderful blessing um to be here and and to be able to share the word of god with you and uh and that you uh pray that you might uh rejoice with me in 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 the content of what we're dealing with today we're going to be continuing on this this little mini series that i've titled ambassadors and um we've moved from that first sermon, which may have been difficult for some, but it was this sermon that respects that we have to make a choice. It was a time to choose. Elijah made that abundantly clear to the not only the 450 prophets of Baal, but the people of Israel, that it was a time for them to choose. If, if Baal be God, then worship him. But in, if the Lord be God, then worship him. We have for far too long idolized this world and had this world as our home and this world as our hope. And it's, it's time to choose. It's time to choose. We spoke about the presence of an evil king linking in so perfectly with what was happening in the book of Kings. We spoke about us carrying a misplaced affection just as they were then. We spoke about also witnessing an evident confirmation of the work of God. They had seen the evident confirmation of the work of God. We have experienced the evident confirmation of the work of God within our own lives. And now it was time to choose. Moving on from there, we spoke about what an ambassador is. The title of the, of the sermon in the centre was simply titled Ambassadors. We spoke about and recognising that an ambassador is an individual who comes from another nation. Another nation, bringing the tidings of that nation to the nation for which he is an ambassador. Declaring the peace and everything that's from that nation to that nation. Bringing favour to that foreign land that the ambassador dwells in. And we related ourselves as ambassadors, as the scriptures teach we are. As the scriptures teach we are. We identified what an ambassador is, that he is a messenger. And he carries a message. He carries a message from the king, the king of the land from which he is citizen. <coughs> we spoke about the nature of that message, that it is both one of warning, but also one of salvation. And a salvation that the ambassadors themselves also recognize, that the ambassadors themselves have experienced within their own lives They've experienced both the warning and the salvation and this is that message that ambassadors bring. And that's you and I. That's you and I. This last message this morning is titled An Ambassador in Bonds. An Ambassador in Bonds. It tells of an individual who spoke of being an ambassador and claimed that we are ambassadors for Christ. And it tells of his end his last days but understanding something important and that is that this ambassador didn't stop being an ambassador while in bonds it speaks about paul in prison and paul continuing to do the work of the lord while there and we ask the question with regards to our own relationship to that and what we might be prepared for what we might live for and that we, what we might glorify God in. So our passage, we're just going to be taking from verse 18 in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll read that just to verse 20. Three verses there. 
And Paul writes as he um, petitions the Ephesian church. And he says to them, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for this message and for this word, for the work of you within our lives. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would help me to preach this word also boldly, that I may encourage my brethren, your ambassadors, dear Father, in Christ. I pray, dear Lord, that you would help each one of us and that you would enthuse us for the work that we have before us, laid evidently clear at our feet, dear Lord. We thank you for this time and I ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What we witness in verse 20 is the state of the first century church as an example through the Apostle Paul. He wrote this epistle from prison. He is an ambassador in bonds is how he titles himself. He's a man who suffered the confiscation of freedom. His very liberty, it wasn't just a home. He didn't actually have a certain dwelling place as far as we're aware of. He travelled around everywhere for those years of his life that he was in ministry, right up until he was an old man. And we found that he had a confiscation of that freedom that he was enjoying with regards to telling the world of Christ. And you would think that the confiscation of that freedom would limit his ministry, but it didn't. It didn't. Nevertheless, Paul saw this as his most committed vocation. This is his work as an ambassador. He saw it as his most committed um, vocation, his work, a work that he would be doing regardless of the circumstances that he finds himself in. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, think of your job. Your job starts at a certain time, finishes at a certain time, you go home, you relax, and that's the end of it. But to someone who believes themselves to be an ambassador for Christ, that work never ceases. Matter of fact, it's the only work they want to do. It's it's an amazing thing. I've I've told people before, you know, when they, you know, they go, so um, so I love doing what I do. You know, I love writing, I love studying, I love reading, I love, you know, teaching and all that sort of thing. And and it's the Lord's given me that passion. And uh, and I said, then I got my days off on Monday. Now, what do you do on your days off? I do what I love doing which is reading and studying and teaching and you know doing everything I can. It's just, it's something that it, you just love the Lord and you want to do his work. You're an ambassador for Christ and the more you love Christ, the more you just want to do the work he wants you to do. So Paul saw this as his most committed vocation. He also saw it as his, as his greatest responsibility because he had a message, a message of hope to the world a message of eternal life to anyone who would take hold of those words, anyone who would grab hold of those words. He had the hope of eternal life. He also saw it as his highest calling in life. You know, people think that you know, once you attain a certain level of, um, of you know, whatever the ladder is that you think that you're climbing, climbing that that is the highest calling, that you know, kings are a higher calling. But you know what? 
every single person here in this room have a calling that is greater than any other governor in this land. You've got a calling on your life that is more important, more profound, more exalted by God than whatever you think that you might be able to reach in your endeavors in this life. You you can't even compare yourself to the princes of this world. They are so low as far as the position of importance and value of the vocation that you have before you. And And I'm sure that very few of us really think that through. But think it through. Think it through logically. Don't put yourself down and thinking, oh, I'm only a, you know, a, a, a trolley boy pushing trolleys in coals. You're a Christian ambassador for Christ. You have a work and a calling that is far, far in excess of that cover that you have, that, 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 uh, that secret you know, covering that you have. You're in, a, you're in a costume as a trolley boy, but you, you're, you're working for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's, that's your work. Paul saw it that way as his highest calling, and we should too. We should too. Paul was now bound in prison cell, in a prison cell, for the privilege of bringing this message to all people. And um, and notice, if you will, that the change of his environment doesn't remove from him the the calling that he has. Um, he's been charged to undertake a particular calling, and now he petitions the prayer of the saints for persistence in the work. He says, And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul continues to preach the gospel, the way of everlasting life, even while being bound. More so, he also trusts that this bondage is going to be furthering the work of Christ. He actually sees that this time of bondage but he's been living free. He's been traveling from place to place. Have you ever seen, you know, the back of your Bible, you've got the maps? You've got Paul's first missionary journey, Paul's second missionary journey, Paul's third missionary journey, Paul's fourth missionary journey, straight to Rome in a prison cell. And yet he doesn't see it as the end of his ministry. Have a look in your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. There's a word that turns up in the book of Philippians very, very often. Anybody know what that word is? No. No, it's John. John. Book of Ephesians, it's known as the book of, uh, it starts with a J. It's only got three letters. Joy. Joy appears so often in the book of Philippians. This letter was also written from a prison cell. We're looking at chapter 1. And from verse uh, 12, we'll read from verse 12 to 18. Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says to them, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defence of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. See, Paul doesn't consider prison 
to be a setback. On the contrary, he sees it as the Lord's will and he preaches the same fervency of message there as he does when he was free. But Paul was not the only disciple in prison. Go further forward to Colossians. I think it's the next book. And guess where this was written? (laughs) In a prison. And uh, a prison in Rome. Colossians chapter 4. Verse 7, he's speaking, he's closing his letter to the Colossian church. This is his salutation. And we see that each one of these, we see the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they're known as the prison epistles. You could probably add Second Timothy to that as well. This is his goodbye to the Colossian church, and he writes this from verse 7. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Omnissimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. This, beloved, is the first century church. This is the first century church. One thing that we find really interesting, though, as we consider church history, and that is that this is a picture of the second century church. Here, preaching in bonds. This is a picture of the third century church. This is the fourth It's actually the 5th century church. Matter of fact, it goes on until this day. It's one of the things that actually happened to me a number of years ago. It wasn't something I want to revisit, but I'll revisit it anyway. I studied church history at Bible college. And we were told we had to read a a bunch of books. So read the bunch of books. We were also told that we needed to do a summary of those books, a review of those books, and we had to write a review about those books. So I wrote a review about the books that I read, and that was, it's great to go through and have another read of it. We are also um, supposed to do an essay on one of the books that we read. I can't remember how many words. I think it was only a couple of thousand words. It wasn't very long. Um, and then we had to do uh, an exam. So, uh, so I did the book reviews, and, uh, and I did the exam got a high distinction for the exam. I never got high distinctions in high school. Never, never. I was a straight D student at school. Uh, but I got a high distinction for this and it was really cool. And I thought, book reviews, this was the marks. This is the high distinction, that was the mark. And I was flat out busy at work and I don't have time to do this essay, you know. And, um, and I thought, I reckon I've got enough to pass, you know. And sure enough, came back with the results at the end of the year, 78%. Bam! Smashed it. I was wrapped, didn't even have to do the essay, and I flew through. And the principal said to me, the pass mark is 80%. I said to him, what? And he goes, you needed 80% to pass the subject. You're kidding. Couldn't you just... He goes, you needed 80% to pass the subject. I go, no. He goes, it's okay. You don't have to do the entire subject again, but you do need to read another two books. And... Do your essay. Oh, God, my goodness. So I did. I ended up reading um, two books. Unfortunately, it ended up being three 
because it ended up being one book in two volumes and then a third book. <laughs> and I did my essay on church history. Beloved, I can tell you with absolute confidence that this is a picture of every century of this life in diverse places around the world. The first century church has remained uh, an oppressed church, a church for which many people were in prison as ambassadors in bonds. This has continued on from, and it will continue on from the first century to the last century. Paul was bound for the sake of the gospel of Christ. This is not a first century anomaly. It might be for us here in the West who have had liberties up until this point. But it was always the perpetual state of the church throughout history since it began nearly 2,000 years ago. I want you to recall something interesting with regards to Paul. He was a persecutor of the church. His name before it was, he changed it to Paul was Saul. That's right. And he testifies in Acts chapter 22 as he spoke to the people in Jerusalem. Uh, it's worth turning there, Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. He spoke to the people of Jerusalem giving testimony that you might be able to see that he had also cast into prison many who preached of that way that way being the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, he spoke to them in the, in the Hebrew tongue, and he confirms this as was spoken, as was written in uh, Acts chapter 21 at the, at the end of it. So Acts 22, verses 3 to 5. He says to them and speaks to them and says in verse 3, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous towards God as ye are all this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness. And all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. Why is this the case? Why? Why is it that the world throughout history had not received the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus answered that question for us. He says that men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. In John 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I have said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. What began in the first century will continue unto the last century. Beloved, be sure to have chosen that good thing that we spoke of in the first message of this series. Be sure to have understood your calling as God's ambassador to a lost world. You have a message to share. You have a hope to share. You have a hope that you are going to be enjoying. You have a hope 
to be looking forward to. And it is a hope and a calling that is more joyful and more blessed than anything. And you know what? We'll, we'll talk about this at the end. We're going to be seeing how Paul has no regrets with this. He has no regrets. He shares no regrets throughout any of this of what he suffered for the sake of the Lord. You are ambassador to a lost world. You are there for the work of the gospel and you will continue even if you are privileged to become an ambassador in bonds with Paul. Intercession for perseverance sake. Next point this morning. Paul was bound in verse 18 for the gospel's sake and he petitions this intercession of the saints for to persevere. He says in that passage in Ephesians 6 verse 18, he begins at he begins verse 18, really at verse 10, because he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he goes on and he says in verse 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then in verse 19, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me. Paul here is petitioning the church to pray for him to pray for him, to intercede on his behalf for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Paul might be bold. He might be bold in his preaching to the lost, even, even in, that, in that condition. Beloved, we, we, need, we need to be a church of prayer. We need to be a church of prayer. We need to be a church of prayer during this time and always. We need to be a church that prays. We need to be seeking after the Lord to intervene, to intercede on behalf of those who cannot intercede for themselves. We need to be interceding to the Lord for those who are also sharing the gospel of Christ. We need to be prayerful with regards to their own boldness. Those who have been called on by the Lord to be evangelists in this world, those who have been called on to pastor and to teach, those who have been called on to do any work for the Lord in this world, we need to intercede on their behalf, especially when we know that they need our prayers. It's one of the reasons we pray for our missionaries. You know, It's one of the reasons that we pray for those to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to our family members who are on the other side of town or are on the other side of the world. We're praying that the Lord would intervene within their lives to give them boldness to share the hope of Christ. Because that is the ambassador's message and it's the highest calling of his life to be able to fulfill. They were long in praying for the release of Peter. Do you remember that in the book of Acts? They're there long in praying that Peter would be released from prison and there's a point at which there's a knock at the gate. You remember that? What an incredible account that is. Who is it? It's Peter. What? Does she open the gate? No. She doesn't open the gate to let him in. She shuts the gate, runs back inside while they're still praying for Peter and says, Peter, Peter's at the door. No, he's not at the door. Peter's at the door. Well, what are you leaving him there for? Go and get him. You know? An angel came and released Peter from the prison and, and led him to the, to the home where they were still praying for him. God answers prayer. We see it all the way through this. He watches over his own. He loves his own. And he is quick to respond and to answer their prayer. This that we're living in is a terrible time. 
It's a terrible time and it's a time that has had challenges that has really hit us like a ton of bricks. We've been challenged very, very suddenly, very, very quickly. And some are getting challenged on every side, not necessarily just with their jobs, but in their relationships, in other things, because the stress that's been created at the moment is overwhelming on all sides. You, and this is something that we've, we've got to be mindful of. This is having an impact on how we are um, behaving. You know, we, we can be short with one another. We, th- these things can happen to us. Why? Because we're stressed by this. We're stressed by the things that are going on and that stress is actually creating an effect within us that makes us short with the people that we love the most, sadly. You know, it's the people that we love the most that we need to be comforting the most and yet we're finding ourselves stressed because of it and affecting them also during this time. Now, if you're on the receiving end of something like this, please Please, you need to be dealing with this with patience and that you need to be loving to your friend, your partner, your loved one, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, whoever it is. You need to be patient and loving with them. And if you are the one that has lashed out in this particular way, then please also understand that your hope is not going to be in this world. You need to be seeking the Lord in prayer. You need his peace that passes all understanding. There's no other way. There's no other solution. And if, and if you're indulging this world and all you are is infatuated with the works of Satan at the moment, then I can tell you with a good degree of confidence you're not going to get peace. If your infatuation is with the devil and with the work that he's doing, and that's most of your time is being spent watching the news and looking at all the different things that are going on, oh, I'm sorry, you're, not, you're just not going to get peace. You're not going to grow, you're not going to get peace, but you're going to still be overwhelmed with the stuff that's going on and you're going to find yourself short with your partners and your loved ones again and again and again and again. And you you could listen to me or you could ignore ignore me, but I mean the, the, the result is the same. You need to be focused on the things of the Lord during this time and prayer, prayer is incredible. Now, Two things that we are to do, and that is read our Bible every day and pray every day. But does reading our Bible every day and praying every day stop bad things from happening? No. It doesn't stop bad things from happening. And if you're expecting that, then that's not what it's there for. It helps you deal with the things that are occurring. It gives you the peace and the comfort to be able to manage those things that are occurring within the world. It helps your attitude. You see, I've, I've seen people and spoken to people and they've had difficulties within their lives, tremendous trials within their lives. And my only question that I have concern with is not for the trials and the things that are happening to them. How are you dealing with it? How are you going? And if they're like, nah, I'm okay. I know that these things are going to happen and I just, I've got to deal with it. I know the Lord is in control and I just need to be trusting. I've got my ups and downs, but no, overall I'm dealing with it okay. That's all that we can hope for because Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. Has he finished that? Because why? I have overcome the world and we are in Christ and he has overcome the world. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter and watch what he says about these things. 1 Peter chapter 4.
Now, it's really interesting because when we're looking at the structure of the New Testament, I've said this before, we see the structure of the New Testament dispensationally. So we see from the writings of the Hebrews, from writing Hebrews right through to the end, that's speaking about the last of the last days, predominantly because it's dealing with the Jews during that time or the Jewish church during that time. And it's, and it's dispensationally looked at in the last of the last days, the times that we're living in now. Have a look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. He writes saying, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. There was uh, one preacher that once said, any man who takes Jesus Christ seriously becomes the target of the devil. He goes on saying, most church members do not give Satan enough trouble to arouse his opposition. <laughs> so true, so true. But beloved, we go on our knees in prayer and we do so because we need to intercede on behalf of the people that we love, on the people that are fighting the good fight, that are doing the work. On for ourselves, that we may continue in the work that the Lord has set for us to do, that we might also fight that good fight and that we might rejoice in the work no matter what the opposition is. Let's give the devil opposition because the only thing he's concerned with, the only thing that he doesn't like, the only thing that he doesn't want is you to grow in your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to have enough opposition that you would think to yourself, what purpose is there in serving God when I'm suffering in such a way? And when the devil has you that way, he, he's got you. He's got you bound. He's got you bound. Those of us, those with a biblical worldview, make sense of this world. We understand this world. We know where it's going. We understand its structures. We understand what it's trying to do. But we also need to understand what the devices of the devil are. And prayer, prayer circumvents all his efforts and all his works. We pray for several reasons. That is because God desires our prayers and longs to answer. Because we need forgiveness of sin, both in the mind and in the body. Because we need to seek his, to see his work being done within our lives. And because others need our intercession. And that is what Paul is asking his readers here. Paul desires that someone would stand in the gap for him. Because you see, there are times within Paul's life that he is weak. And he says so. Who is weak and I am not weak? You know, who, who burns and I don't suffer? You know, I, he, 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 all the things that he's gone through, there are times in his life that he is weak and he needs the saints to bear him up, to strengthen him for the work that he needs to do. And this was Paul, this is the same for each one of us. If you know a brother or a sister who's going through trials, bear them up through your prayers, please. Bear them up through your prayers. They need you. We all need you. We need one another. We need one another 
in every single way. And the only way we can get help is through your prayers, through you praying, interceding to the Lord on our behalf, you know, for one another. God looks for men and women women that are willing to do so, willing to petition the Lord also that he might stem the tide of his indignation on the nation. Turn your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. Ezekiel, chapter 22. And as you read this, consider, consider the burden that Ezekiel has at the moment because in Ezekiel, chapter 22, he speaks and relates to the nation of Israel or Judah, most particularly, most particularly in Jerusalem, that they've turned away from the Lord, that they have turned away from him and that God is about to pour out his indignation on that state, on that city. And, but God doesn't want to. God is looking for someone that will be willing to intercede on behalf of the city. The Lord is looking for someone that's willing to intercede on behalf of this state, of this city, of Melbourne. God is looking for somebody willing to intercede on their behalf lest he pour out his indignation upon them. Have a look at verse um, verse 29. <coughs> Ezekiel writes here saying, 22. Ezekiel 22, yeah, and verse 29. These are incredible days. This is an incredible time that Ezekiel speaks about. It, it really is. And, and this... One portion, especially in, in verse 30, is something that we could try and really memorize because this is what God's looking for. So Ezekiel 22, verse 29. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore I have poured have I poured out my indignation upon them, I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their own heads, saith the Lord God. It was really interesting, Maria was talking to me um, last week with regards to the construction industry and was mentioning how predominantly uh, the current party that's in power is usually the party that's voted for by the construction industry. And now the construction industry is under its boot. You know, it's one, it was one of the four industries that 100% you had to do this and that and the other. And, you know, you look at this, I have recompensed upon their own heads, their own way have I recompensed upon their own heads? And we see evidence of that today. But the Lord is looking for and he's longing for just someone that will stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. And that means to intercede on their behalf, to intercede, to pray, to, 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 to pray to the Lord for behalf of the people that are suffering that's out there. See, it's not just us praying for ourselves. We need to be praying for the land. We need to be praying for the people that are here. We need to be interceding on behalf of those who can't intercede for themselves. That's the power of your prayers. Don't underestimate the power of your prayers. You know, I look at it and I marvel. We, we have prayed for so many different people 
and they've come to Christ. But do you, do you think, what's a greater miracle? You know, what's a greater miracle? That some objective thing out here in the land is going to be made okay or a heart turned to salvation in Christ? And we have prayed for them and they have come to the Lord. There are so many answers to prayer that we've actually seen within this church. Your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful and the prayers for the lost is also powerful. James speaks about this when he says, you know, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from a death and shall hide a multitude of sins. We pray that people will be saved and we share the gospel as ambassadors to them. Why? Because you'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Solomon wrote, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. He that winneth souls is wise. Set yourselves to pray each day. Intercede on behalf of those who can't intercede for themselves. Set yourselves to pray each day and intercede on behalf of those who attend to the work of the word of the Lord, that they might be strengthened, because there's times when they are weak, times when they've got a bad back and find it hard to stand. So pray for them because they need your prayers. They need your intercession. Pray that they might be bold and that their proclamation as ambassadors of Christ might be strengthened. Boldness for hope's sake in verse 19. And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We often think, that the sharing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ comes easily to those who seem to be gifted at doing that. It's interesting, isn't it? There's an individual who we know that might be an evangelist and they, they just seem to find it really easy. It's like drinking a glass of water, share the gospel. Drinking a glass of water, share the gospel. Easy. Paul indicates here something interesting and that is that it's not that easy. That it's not that easy. That there still needs to be boldness. There still needs to be that determination and courage to be able to do so. We think that you know the sharing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is something that always comes naturally to everybody, especially those who might be called as evangelists or as preachers of the word. But it doesn't necessarily come easily. We might, they might do so more than you do, but it's still, it's still the same struggles there, the same wrestles there. It's not the case. It's not the case. We see Paul desiring that he would be bold to make known the mystery of the gospel. Sharing the gospel is not always easy. First, it needs to be our desire. It needs to be our desire. We need to see it as a work of ambassadors for a heavenly kingdom. Secondly, that there needs to be a love. Love for the lost that exceeds our concerns for our temporary comforts. Finally, there needs to be that hunger for souls. That burden that simply can't be quenched without sharing that wonderful knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So firstly, quickly, the desire. It's one of the greatest joys to see a new Christian on fire for the Lord and sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the greatest things to see. They become saved and all of a sudden they they just want to tell everybody. They know nothing. They know nothing. All they know is that something's happened, right? They've got no knowledge, just zeal. You need to believe Jesus. You need to believe Jesus. Why? I don't know. You just you just need to. You know, they have a passion and a zeal, and they run after the Lord. And it's really, it's really tragic because those of us that have been Christians too long, 
sort of think, yeah, <laughs> the passion goes. But the passion doesn't need to go. Passion doesn't need to go. There was one old Christian who still had the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, witnessing a young man fervent for the zeal and the gospel of Christ. And he said, Lord, don't let him catch on. <laughs> don't let him catch on. Please let him continue to have that zeal. You know, Some people have been Christians far too long, but I can tell you one thing of a certainty, that you will not have a love for the lost until your love for Christ exceeds anything else. There is a direct parallel, and that parallel is the more you love Jesus, the more you love the lost. I didn't have a care for the lost. I didn't really like people too much. But the more I loved the Lord, the more I fell in love with people. And the more I had a burden for the Lord, the more I had a burden for people. And those two things grow together. They grow together. Vance Havner once said that a revival is the church falling in love with Jesus Christ all over again. And I think he's right. I think he's right. It's the church falling in love with Jesus Christ all over again. Where do you stand in your love for the Lord Jesus? Where do you stand in your love for him? Do you love him? Do you desire him more than you desire even your breath? You know, is he your daily bread? You know, do you hunger and thirst after him? The righteousness that's in him, you know, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth, so I pant after you, O Lord. You know, this is, this is the desire that we need to have. A love for the Lord that exceeds anything that we can possibly attain here in this world. Paul's desire was nothing other than that utterance might be given him, that he might open his mouth boldly. And that's the love. That's the desire that we need to have. This love also... This is something that is incredible. You know, we speak about missionaries on a, on, a, on, a, on a level that we desire that they may grow in their, in their boldness. And, you know, there was one who wrote that the primary qualification for a missionary is not the love for souls, as we often hear, but a love for Christ. They have to have a love for Christ. When you saw those... Um, those Moravian missionaries who went off in that in that ship and they sold themselves to slavery in the West Indies, and they had that famous Moravian cry. Do you remember that, where they said uh, that the Lord may receive the reward of His suffering? They sold themselves into slavery that they might preach Christ to the slaves in the West Indies, and that was their cry. How is your love for Christ? Do you love him enough that the burden that you have for the souls of others supersedes the burden that you have to protect your own feelings? In other words, are you more concerned for the souls that you are sharing with than what they think of you? Are you more worried that death will suddenly claim its next victim than you are at being hated for preaching the warning? Also, you need to have the hunger. You need to have the hunger. Jeremiah was terribly reproached by those who tried to pre- that he tried to preach to. We've spoken before. You've read it in the Bibles before. We don't see a single convert by Jeremiah. You know, 
They put him in chains. They beat him. They put him in stocks. They put him in a prison. He was an ambassador in bonds. Jeremiah of the Old Testament. Yet he had a love for God and a hunger for his word. In Jeremiah 20 verse 9, he wrote and said, Then said I, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. You can imagine that, can't you? You know, oh, I've had enough. I've been beaten. I've been scolded. I've been put in prison. I've suffered hunger. Paul suffering shipwreck and, and being stoned and being whipped and all that sort of thing. No, I'll I, I not make mention of him. I'll not speak any more in his name. But Jeremiah writes and he says, But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was re- weary with forbearing. I could not stay. You know, it speaks about those wine bottles that are ready to burst. You know, and that's what Jeremiah was like. He simply could not stay. But let me tell you with all confidence that the hunger that you have for the lost souls of this world will equal the, the hunger that you have for the Lord. The more you desire the Lord, the more you will have a hunger for the lost of this world. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus says that my meat, my, my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. You know, we need to have a hunger for the Lord, for who he is. We need to have, be so consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ that we can't help but want to share the gospel of Christ. But the question for you is, what is he to you? Is he just an appetizer? Is he just an appetizer for you? You, you? you have a little bit of an appetizer with the Lord Jesus Christ and then you have a feast in the world? If that's you, really, it's hard to see whether or not you have a part in the gospel of Christ. If Jesus is just your dessert at the end of the week of fleshly feasting, um, then you are not an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. You're filling your own lusts. You're living to fill your lust with the dregs that this world has to offer. This world doesn't have anything to offer. But if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, then Jesus actually says you will be filled. You will be filled. You'll have such a hunger for Christ that nothing else can come close to satisfying and you will be filled with a burden for the lost. And Ambassador in Bonds, last portion this morning. He writes in verse 24, which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We are all ambassadors for Christ. We're citizens of heaven. We've got a purpose that is greater than any other purpose that we can possibly have in this world. And the key is to understand that Satan knows it. He knows it. He knows that this is the most important work that needs to be done. That's why he desires to shut it down as quickly as possible. He knows that above everything else, the preaching of the gospel of Christ is the highest calling of any individual in the world. It's a wonder that the one thing that Paul was in prison for was for the sharing of the gospel of Christ. But he wasn't in prison for doing anything wrong. He was in prison because he shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, I, and I, sometimes I find it hard to get my head around why people hate it so much. I don't understand it, you know. Um, there's no cost to gain heaven that has been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when you close your eyes in this life, you open your eyes in heaven, and that's the message of the gospel. It's a simple message. So what has the world got to fear? What is the problem with this? You know, Jesus paid the penalty. We don't have to pay it ourselves. It's Jesus Christ that did the work. We don't have to do the work ourselves. 
So why, what is this such bad news for people that they would persecute the church so much unless Satan was the one that was the deceiver and doing the work behind the scenes? Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Satan knows it. He knows that this is an incredible work. It's the one thing that the devil hates and it's the one thing that he works hardest to do against every Christian. Every Christian runs the risk in his eyes of being effective for Christ. And for some of you, you've recognized that not only you know, does the devil knock you down, he's not a fair fighter. He doesn't let you get back up again. In the old days, I remember in the old days when I was in school and that was how you did things. You know, if you're in a fight or anything like that, you knock a person down, you wait, let them get up again, and then you go, then you go at it again. And the devil, devil doesn't do that. What does he do? He lays the boots in. He lays the boots in. Thank you, Siri. Yeah, thanks, Siri. I really appreciate your help. You know, Vance Havner said in one of his other sermons, he, he said, um, if the devil cannot keep you from being saved... If next he fails to make you backslide, then he undertakes to keep you just an average Christian. (laughs) Sadly, he succeeds with most believers, he writes. Elsewhere he wrote and he said, Any man who takes Jesus Christ seriously becomes the target of the devil. Most church, yeah, I already mentioned that, most church members do not give Satan enough trouble to arouse his opposition. The rousing of the opposition of the devil if you're doing that, then it seems that your love for the Lord Jesus Christ is growing. And if your love for the Lord Jesus Christ is growing, so is your burden for the lost. Your burden for the lost continues to grow. There's nothing else that you want to do. Your success might be made manifest by reaching the top of your profession, and that is becoming an ambassador in bonds. What are you saying, Pastor? Are you saying that we should all go to jail for preaching the gospel? You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that if you love the Lord Jesus Christ as much as he deserves to be loved, there is nothing you won't do. There is nothing you won't do. If you love the Lord as much as he deserves to be loved, there is nothing you won't sacrifice. There is nothing you won't be willing to endure. Paul needed the intercessory prayers of the saints, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20 as we close off this message. Acts chapter 20. Find something interesting as we look at Acts. Acts is a book of history. It's a narrative. It tells you the accounts, the accounts of the apostles the acts of the apostles as they travelled and as they shared the gospel of Christ. And it focuses its attention mostly on two of them, and they are Peter and Paul. Paul closes off the last chapters because Paul's ministry was a ministry to the Gentiles. It was went to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But Paul never lost his burden for the Jews, so he would return back there again. Um, but that would be the last time he sees them. So in Acts chapter 20, Paul, in verse 22, Paul says, And now behold, 
I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither I, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. In, verse 20, in chapter 21, have a look there. Chapter 21, verse 4. So in that first portion that we read in, in chapter 20, Paul already recognises there's something concerning him. He's bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, but he also has a concern. You can see that in the text. He says, not knowing what things shall befall me there. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I go there. There's a foreboding already within him. But here we get a first warning from the other disciples. Acts 21 verse 4, And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Go down and have a look at verse 10. Verse 10, uh, Luke is writing this account. Obviously, Luke is the the penman of the book of Acts. And as we tarried there, (coughs) excuse me, and as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus, And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him that he not go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am not I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. Three times was Paul warned about returning to Jerusalem. Once was his own conviction and twice by his disciples or by the disciples. Should he have gone? Was the Lord telling him not to go? Curious, isn't it? You sort of wonder, you know, you've already got this foreboding in your heart, yet you feel bound in the spirit to go. And then you get one disciple telling you and another disciple prophesying that this is going to happen to you. We know the outcome of it all. In his final imprisonment, from where he wrote this very letter in Ephesians, He wrote also the letter to the Philippians. He wrote also the letter to the Colossians. And my guess is he wrote also the letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy. Was he wrong to go? Paul was an ambassador for Christ just like you and I are this day. He was bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. He was sent by the Lord to go there. And as he said in verse 13, he was not only willing to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 23, it was the Lord himself who stood by Paul, encouraging him and saying, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome, in Acts 23, verse 11. So we see a reflection of his love for the Lord Jesus Christ and his willingness to give his life for the work that this was his greatest joy of all, to be doing the work. And you remember that, don't you? You remember that when he was on the ship 
And, uh, and he actually said, um, you know, they were worried for their lives. They were worried that the ship was going to be broken up in the storm and everything like that. And he said, no, it's okay. There was, the Lord has told me we're going to get to Rome. You know, so we're going to get there. We're going to get there. You know, so he was confident in that. Turn in your Bibles, last verse we'll look at, last passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul's final letter, also written from a prison in Rome. Paul speaks of his ministry drawing to a close after everything that he endured for the Lord Jesus Christ, all the afflictions that he underwent, everything that we read about. And I want you to tell me, as we're reading this short account, I ask you to tell me if you see any hint of regret in his words. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, read from verse 1 to 8. He writes to Timothy, saying, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come, although will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. What does his appearing refer to? Jesus' return. Yeah, his return. His return for the church. Here we have an ambassador in bonds. This is Paul. And ambassadors also are we. Just as the first century church began in obscurity and preached the gospel to the world, so too will those faithful in the last century fulfill that work that was begun until he comes, until he appears. How wonderful would it be that when the Lord returns for the church to meet them in the air, that moment that you were changed, that you were found in the midst of attending to your work as an ambassador, even if need be, an ambassador in bonds. Maranatha, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, dear God, we give you thanks and praise for this time. We give you thanks and praise for your church. We give you thanks and praise for the glory of God and for the hope of Jesus Christ. And we look for your return. We look for your coming. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would encourage each one of us to be ambassadors for Christ. We thank you and we ask you, dear Lord, that you would indeed come quickly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.